whenever I look at Mother Nature, do you know what I see? Purity. There's trees, bushes, grass, water, animals, birds, insects. All of that is pure. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Mr. A+. Joining us today is another brilliant mind. At the age of four, she said in kindergarten that she wanted to be a meteorologist. But she went even further than that. She became an, an astrophysicist, a science communicator, and she is also the, the co-host of the Scientist podcast. She is also working towards a PhD. Please welcome the brilliant astronomer, Kirsten Banks. Hello, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's my pleasure, Kirsten. How are you doing? I'm doing great. That's good. What's been happening in your life recently? Well, I've been a lot of uh, juggling at the moment, trying to juggle the PhD, writing an entire thesis, um, doing videos on TikTok, trying to keep up with all the space news happening with things like the JWST, taking fantastic photos of space every single day, and just trying to like, you know, keep going with life. Yes, aren't we all? What is your mission in the field of astrophysics? Well, my mission is largely focused around my research in astrophysics. So that's where my PhD kind of comes in. For my PhD, I am studying two fields of astronomy. That is galactic archaeology and astroseismology. Oh. Yes, both things that sound like something that should be done in the ground with the archaeology and the seismology, but it's stuff that we do with the stars. So I'll start with galactic archaeology first. So similar to how archaeologists study ancient artifacts from civilizations in the past to understand more about the history of these ancient civilizations, we study the stars of the Milky Way galaxy and the gas of the Milky Way galaxy to figure out the history of our galaxy. I do have to admit, those are, those are subjects I kind of struggle to, um, to fully understand. It's, there's a lot of information out there in space and in the galaxy. When we look at the light from stars, we can infer lots of things about them, like what they're made of, how old they are, and those pieces of information can help us kind of put together a bit of a photo album of the galaxy at different stages of its evolution. So then we can piece that photo album together to try and figure out what its history was like. Wow. Yeah. But it's really, really interesting just to think how things came to be, why stars are out there, why galaxies formed, and that's what really interests me about space. We're constantly learning yeah. more things about our universe. Your passion for the sky, space, stars and planets began at 10 years old. Was there a particular moment that triggered your lifelong passion? Yeah, so like you said in the introduction, I was always interested in the sky, wanting to be a meteorologist and study the weather. Um, but when I got to about year nine or year 10 in high school, my science teachers took my entire year group on an excursion to go see a documentary about the Hubble Space Telescope. And this telescope is absolutely phenomenal. It's the size of a bus. It's orbiting around the Earth and taking awesome photos of space. And I remember sitting there in this theatre watching this documentary, being absolutely blown away by how awesome space is, how pretty it is, and how mysterious it is too. So I realised in that moment that I needed to study space to unveil some of those mysteries. Wow. Yeah. It was a big moment. I remember it very, very clearly. So it just goes to show that even a school trip on a, an excursion can lead to 
future opportunities. Absolutely. And I really have to give it to my teachers for taking us on that trip to see this documentary because without that, who knows what I'd be doing this day. God knows. What are your thoughts on the fact that Pluto is not classified as a planet? Well, I do still hold a special place in my heart for the dwarf planet Pluto. (laughs) It is a dwarf (laughs) planet. So back in the day... When we discovered all these planets, we have Mercury, Venus, Earth that we live on, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune and Uranus. Sorry, other way around, Uranus and then Neptune and Pluto as well. But we started finding more and more of similar objects to Pluto. Uh, For example, Eris, Ceres, uh, Makamaki, Haumea. These are all dwarf planets. And so we discovering these things, we're thinking, oh, and by we, I mean the scientific community of back then. We're thinking, we've got a lot of planet-like objects here. We may need to reclassify some of these things. And so the International Astronomical Union, a body of astronomers from around the world, came together to give a very strict set of rules to classify a planet a planet. So there are three. Rule number one, it has to orbit around the sun. Pluto does that very well. It takes 230 years to do a full loop around the sun. Number two, it has to be round in shape. Pluto is round, which is good, so it passes those first two rules. But the third rule, it doesn't pass. This third rule is it needs to be the gravitationally dominant object in its orbit. So like how Jupiter is really, really massive, it definitely dominates its orbit Even though there are a few asteroids in and around that orbit, it's the dominant thing, the most massive thing in the orbit. Mm. Pluto's not the most massive thing in its orbit. It crosses over with Neptune. It's got a moon called Charon, which is a very similar size and mass to Pluto. So unfortunately, Mm. it didn't pass that third criteria and it got reclassified to dwarf planet. I see. (laughs) But I still love it. It's still a beautiful dwarf planet. And since you mentioned that you have a special place in your heart for Pluto, I kind of have to admit that the one planet in particular that I have a special place in my heart for is Neptune. Oh, why Neptune? It's because Neptune is the ruling planet of Pisces. It is too. Neptune is the god of water. Is that right? Yeah. Now, this next question, this one is actually for my dad. My question is, do you think there is life on other planets in the universe? If the answer is, no, I don't believe there's life on other planets, then I'd like her to explain what makes her think that planet Earth is the very special, unique place in the entire cosmos that only has life. So, yes, is my answer. Because if we think about how big the universe is, when we look out into the universe and look at just a teeny tiny piece of sky... With our most powerful telescopes, we can see thousands upon thousands of galaxies in that teeny tiny piece of sky. All of these galaxies have hundreds of billions of stars in them. So that's a lot of stars. And in our own galaxy, we've been finding lots and lots of planets around stars other than our sun, leading us to believe that probably almost every star in the universe, or at least in our galaxy, has a planet. So if all of those stars and all of those thousands and thousands and thousands of galaxies have planets around them, surely there must be something else out there, right? Surely the conditions must be perfect for life to form just like it has here on our little rock we call Earth. Surely, surely there must be something else out there. Yes. 
Well, my dad seems to seems to think so. I have no doubt. At some point in time, there probably was something out there. If we'll find anything, that's a very different and more complex question. Yes. What is the Mars rover's progress? Is it still going? Well, we have a few different Mars rovers. We've had uh, Opportunity, which was only going to have a 90-day mission initially, but it lasted for many, many years before it died... I'm still very sad about Oppie dying. It died, um, when was it? Around 2018, I think. So it was very sad when Opportunity died. So it's no longer operating that one. Uh, Curiosity is another one that's still going. It had its 10th birthday on Mars the other day. Oh. Yeah, and well it, it, we, it's fantastic. It even sung itself happy birthday for its first year on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and for its 10th anniversary, there was this lawn mowing company that programmed all of its automatic lawn mowers to do the same thing and sing Curiosity Happy Birthday, but on Earth, which is pretty cool. And there's another rover called Perseverance, so Percy, the most recent rover that's gone up on Mars. It's still going. It's still doing some awesome science, trying to find signs of previous life or signs of where life could have occurred on Mars. And it's doing a really good job at the moment. Nice. How about we take a moment of silence to pay our respects for opportunity? Okay, now, here's a hanky you can wipe your tears. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. That was fantastic. <laughs> Unlike most people, I still use a hanky. <laughs> The moon landing took place in 1969, right? Mm-hmm. In recent days, NASA has been trying to launch another unmanned rocket to the moon. Do you think it's important to continue to visit the moon? Absolutely. There is so much resources on the moon that we can use to utilise ourselves to then jump from the moon to go to other places like Mars and take people to Mars. So going to the moon is kind of like our first next step to getting even further, to getting people over to other planets like Mars. So we have the Artemis mission coming up now. The amazing thing about this mission compared to the Apollo mission is that we have a lot more time. There's no need to rush. We can do things right. We can make sure everything is safe, make sure we don't lose any astronauts along the way. This first mission won't have any astronauts in it. It's an uncrewed mission, just testing to see how the rocket goes around. And the next mission, we'll have people on it and we'll see people walking on the moon again within this decade. Nice. It's very exciting. Just curious, wouldn't you rather spend the money on other exploration? It depends. There's a lot of research that we can do both here on Earth, from space, looking out into space, or even satellites that are in space looking back down on Earth. All of these things that we do help improve our collective knowledge of the world around us. It's just in this case with the moon, it's our more immediate world around us. Hmm. My next question is, would you ever consider going to space? So there are two things I would love to do. One is to go to the International Space Station or an International Space Station equivalent where it has a window to look down on Earth. And I would just sit there looking down as we orbit around the Earth once every 90 minutes, just watching our Earth roll by would love to do something like that and see that for myself. But the second thing I would love to do is go on a trip around the moon because 
There's this incredible image taken by the Apollo 8 astronauts on Christmas Eve, where they were rounding behind the far side of the moon, and when they came back around, they saw the most unique view that any human has seen with their own eyes. What was that? They saw an Earth rise. So instead of for us on Earth and we see the moon rising above the horizon of the Earth, it's the other way around. They saw the Earth rising above the horizon of the moon as they came around from the far side of the moon. And that's the only way you can see something like that because the moon is tidally locked to the Earth. So only one side of the moon faces the Earth at all times. So I would love to do that. Fly behind the far side and see this Earth rise. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a very interesting thing to accomplish. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yes. You're an indigenous astrophysicist, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What does your culture teach you about the night sky? So I'm a very proud Wiradjuri woman. So Wiradjuri are from central New South Wales area. And in our culture, we learn a lot from the night sky. The night sky is kind of like the canvas for our stories. And within these stories, we have lessons about various things, about how to go through relationships, how to communicate with people, even how to find food. So I'll give an example of my favorite constellation in Wiradjuri astronomy. It's not a constellation like you would have learnt about in school, for example, where like with Pisces, you have your stars and you connect the dots between the stars to create some sort of formation of an image. So with Pisces, you have the two fish. Is it two? Yep, two. Two fish. With this constellation, it's not made of stars. Instead, it's made of the dark parts of the Milky Way galaxy. So if you go to a place with very little light pollution, so no lights around you, and you see the galaxy stretching right across the entire night sky, you can see these dark blobs scattered through the galaxy. And within those dark blobs, you can see this huge emu shape, which we call Gorgomon. And its position in the night sky tells us when is the right time to go looking for emu eggs to eat. Hmm. Yeah. We can even use it to know when the seasons are changing, even when the weather is changing as well. There are ways to read the stars, to see that and predict the weather. It is such a wealth of knowledge. There are some people out there who wouldn't consider indigenous science, quote unquote, as regular science or Western science, which is absolutely ridiculous. It is science nonetheless, no matter where it comes from. Just because it wasn't written down, it doesn't mean it's not science. It's still observing things, making predictions, and accurate predictions as well. Mm. Like Indigenous peoples all around the world were able to predict when lunar eclipses would happen, when solar eclipses would happen, all without telescopes. There are even uh, the Yongnu people in Northern Territory. They have uh, this ceremony around when the morning star comes back, so Venus. So Venus is the morning star and the evening star because it goes back and forth in front and behind the sun. And that is not constant, as in it's not always at the same time each year. But they know when it occurs because they observed it. They knew they knew the pattern and they could see and just count the days and know when to have their ceremony. Mm. That is science. It transcends what we learn as science today, but it's still science within my cultural background and knowledge. I don't know if you're aware, but I have a small collection of desk flags. Ooh. And one of them is the Australian flag, but it's accompanied with 
the Torres Strait Islander flag and the Aboriginal flag. Excellent. All three have to be together at all times Mm -hmm. because the Aboriginals are the true Australians. We are the first scientists, we're the first astronomers of this land that we now call Australia. Absolutely right. You mentioned something about eating emu eggs. Yes. A couple of times I had bits of kangaroo meat, but I can't even bring myself to eat eat that kind of meat anymore. Oh, really? Not even emu meat, because kangaroos and emus are the two national animals of Australia. By not eating their flesh, you're showing a sign of respect. Well, that's a similar thing in Aboriginal culture as well. For many different nations, and even clans within those nations, they will have particular animals that they're going to protect called their totems or in many cases they're called a totem and you can't eat these animals you have to protect them they're a part of you but it's not the same for all groups so for example in Wiradjuri for me the goanna or guga is a totem so I wouldn't harm a guga I wouldn't harm a a goanna at all Uh, and I certainly wouldn't eat their flesh either but for another clan that may be, or another nation that doesn't have that animal as their totem or as a sacred animal, that would be more or less fine. So it, it all depends on the, the nation and, and the family and so on. Right. You recently did a session, session at the Sydney TEDx event alongside me and one of my previous guests, Esme Louise James. What were you talking about? I was talking about how light pollution has taken away our night sky from us and then taken away some of the culture as well that's in the knowledge systems that are connected to it. So with light pollution, you can't see the stars that you used to be able to see from these areas. In Sydney, you can see about 125 stars at best with the naked eye, when there should be around two and a half thousand stars visible on any one night. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. You don't see a lot of stars. And so with that, we're losing stars that have connection to culture and we're losing the culture and the stories of these stars through other things like colonisation as well, of course. But how the night sky has been lost from light pollution. That was my main topic. That is really disheartening to hear. But luckily, there are still areas like dark sky preserves where there are very strict rules about lights, outdoor lighting. They have to be all pointed downwards, for example. They have to be a certain colour, a certain brightness, so that it minimises the amount of light going up into the sky to wash out the stars. And so you can see a lot from areas like that. So, for example, Coonabarabran or the uh, Siding Spring Observatory is part of a dark sky preserve out there in the Warrumbungle National Park. And the sky there is just mwah, gorgeous. Wow. <sighs> Unfortunately, we're still not connected with Mother Nature as well. Very true indeed. Whenever I look look at Mother Nature, do you know what I see? What do you see? Purity. Yes, I 100% agree with that. There's trees, bushes, grass, water, animals, birds, insects. All of that is pure. It's nice to get back into nature, especially uh, going on country. So for me, going back to Wiradjuri country, to be able to be in a place where all you hear is nature. You don't hear any planes, you don't hear any trains or cars, no. just the birds, the insects, the sound of the wind through the grass and the trees is very, very calming. And like you yeah. said, it's a very pure sound. The sound of water flowing, the wind blowing or a gentle breeze brushing by, leaves rustling, grass rustling, insect sounds, bird sounds, sounds from animals. I call that 
God's soundtrack. <laughs> I love that. Like SMA Louise James, who has a TikTok channel called Kinky History, you host a lecture series on TikTok yourself, right? I do. And what is yours about? All things space. Okay. Yeah, so I like to talk about anything about space, uh, even a little bit of science and physics here and there too, but mostly space content because some of the most what seem to be simple questions don't necessarily have simple answers. There can be really complex answers to these sorts of questions. One person asked me once, hypothetically, if you were in space with no spacesuit and not dying, we'll just ignore that part, if you were to fart, could you propel yourself forwards? That was the question. Could you fart and propel yourself forwards in space without a spacesuit? And the answer is yes. That is basically how rockets work, by ejecting gas particles out the back end to go forwards. So, yes, you could propel yourself forwards by uh, flatulence in space. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds funny. Yeah. (laughs) So I love getting questions from the community to talk about space, what they're interested in. Everyone loves talking about black holes. That always is lots of fun to talk about too. Yeah, so it's just all, all things space. And I've never actually dreamed of going to space myself. To be fair, it is quite scary out there. Very dark, very cold. I don't think I would ever be open to it. Fair enough. It's, it's much safer here on Earth. Yeah. The cool thing to think about, uh, what I think is cool, is that all of our atoms that make up our bodies came from stars. It came from space. I did not know that. There you go. I believe we're now on to our Ask Mr. A Plus segment. That's a segment towards the end of the podcast where the guest gets an opportunity to ask me questions, anything that comes to mind. Ooh. So bring it. Because you're a Pisces, if you could be any type of fish or any type of water-born animal, what would it be? That's a pretty tough one. Mm, there's lots of really good options. If it was a crustacean, I'd probably choose blue swimmer crab. Oh, are they actually blue in colour? Somewhat. Somewhat, yeah. Yeah. With a fish, I'd probably be um, a trout cod. A trout cod. Where do they tend to live? The Murray River, I think. Oh, awesome. But if it was something larger, probably a whale. Oh, they have beautiful songs, the whales. The beautiful sounds. Yeah. Mm. What are your next questions? What is the number one train you want to go on in the world? Well, ideally, it would be on the Tally Thin Railway. Where is that one? Wales. Oh, that one, right, yes. It's a narrow gauge railway. I'd like to um, go on, on five of its locomotives. There's Tally Thin, Dolgork, Sir Hayden, Edward Thomas, and Douglas. Mm. In fact, those are the basises and inspirations for... Five steam engines from Thomas. I was about to ask. I was like, Thomas and Douglas. I know Thomas is from Thomas the Tank Engine, but... uh... Yes. Douglas is the inspiration for Duncan. Edward Thomas is the basis for Peter Sam. Sir Hayden is the basis for Sir Handel. While Tallythin and Dolgork are the inspirations for Scar Lowry and Reneus. That's really cool. And they're narrow-gauge engines themselves. What are your next questions? You love performing. What is the ultimate performance you would want to do in life? Whether it be in a movie or theatre, anything. What's the ultimate thing you want to do with performing? Film and television. Yeah? Television in particular. Do you see yourself like on a a sitcom or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Awesome. What would be your ideal character? I'm open to many characters. 
Well, you do so many great impressions. I've had the very, very good privilege of hearing some of your impressions over the time that we've spent together. Did you ever see the, that show, The Good Place or um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yes, those are two shows that I absolutely love. They're actually some of my favourites too. Awesome. Sean on The Good Place is one of my favourite characters. Ah, oh, Sean. Because I love his actor, Mark Evan Jackson. And so many people keep saying, who is he? That I have to keep explaining his work. Like He's in so many things. Like, First of all, Sean. Second of all, Kevin in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Obviously. Obviously. I sometimes wish my dad would sound like him. Yeah, he's got a lovely voice. I'll do a quick impression. This is from this is Sean. Indeed, humanity is a massive steaming pile of greasy dookie. And now all this talk of do- dookies made me hungry. That's so good. And now, Kevin Costner. But a dirtbag is a useful part of a vacuum. I don't see how it's an insult. <laughs> I recently just finished watching all of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because the latest season finally went out on Netflix. So I did a full rewatch again and I finished it last night. And oh my gosh, mm. what a great show. Yeah. At least they concluded that's that show with dignity. They did. They did a very good job in concluding it. It's, it got really good closure out of it. Exactly. Mm. I just love Captain Holt. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I wish my father would have the same face as him. Oh, yeah. Because he never smiles. But then when he does, it's a fantastic smile. <laughs> Such a big face. It's awesome. <laughs> and, it, and it's infectious as well. It really is. It's because um, my my dad is a pretty serious person himself. <laughs> and I, I love having a serious dad, but my siblings don't. Oh, really? <laughs> In fact, my serious character, I inherited that from my dad. In fact, I've always been a serious person. Mm. Even though some people might get put off by that. Anyway, um, do you have any further questions for me? I think I'm all dry. Seriously? <laughs> My brain's been thinking about space for, for so long. It's just all space, space, space. So that's really fried your brain, huh? <laughs> what else has been happening with you recently? I recently got engaged, which is more of a personal thing than a... Yeah, than a well done. Thank you, thank you. Very excited. I got a little... The, uh, the stone that I have in the centre of mine is a nice little hexagon. So hexagon like the mirrors on the JWST. You see hexagons in space all the time. There's a hexagon-shaped storm on Saturn. So we love the hexagons. <laughs> well, person, thank you so much for being a guest on today's podcast. It was a really, this has been a very fun, enjoyable and interesting conversation. I think this is going to really give our audience another intellectual treat. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure being on the podcast with you today. It's been a pleasure having you on. So thank you in return. Mm-hmm.